you got your Bibles, we in Proverbs 28. Proverbs chapter 28. Heading towards the home stretch. We in 28, starting at verse 12. Proverbs 28, verse 12. Get that, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you just for being God. Help us to truly believe in you, God, to truly trust in you, to truly know that you are God and you're real and you're here with us. You hear us, you see us, you know us inside and out, God, and help us to never take that lightly, but to always be conscious of you, Father God. Keep you on our mind, God, in the name of Jesus, even as we go through your word and your truth, God, you lead, you speak, you guide. You instruct us. You make it real and make it plain so that we can see how to honor you in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 28, starting in verse 12. Like I said, we're coming down the home stretch, getting into the last couple of chapters. And here we're making it to the end of the Proverbs of Solomon. And getting ready to transition into the last section of the book, section 3. But today we're just going to try to finish out the Proverbs of Solomon. 28 verse 12 says, When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. So when righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. What this is talking about here is talking about authority and leadership. So when righteous men do rejoice, it's the idea of, of, of a righteous person being in leadership and he's fully expressing himself. That word rejoice there means to spin or to toil. So when a righteous man is in full expression of his righteousness, he's jumping, he's, he's twirling, and he's pouring forth his righteousness, it said there is great glory. So once a righteous man can truly express himself and enjoy himself in his righteousness, honor and splendor is, is poured into a place. But when the wicked rise, when the wicked reach your state where they are the dominant ones, say a man is hidden. What it means by that is there's a pulling back. There's a covering. People, when they're in the midst of truly wicked, and that wicked could be the oppressors, when they're in the midst of those type of people, there's there's this drawback. And the best way for us to get an example out to see it is any of you, if you had a friend or a parent or uncle or I know somebody with those people who just mean. And when you're around those people, they're very mean. They're very easily offended. You don't really be yourself. And you pull back and you don't say everything you want to say. And it's the sense of you pulling back and refusing. You walk on eggshells around certain people because you don't want to offend them. And that's the idea that he has here is that there's a covering. There's a drawback when the oppressors or when the wicked is the one who dominates. And that's the picture you get in the mind. But when the righteous are there, there's a flourishing. And there's a glory that, that comes because of the full expression of righteousness. Verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. This is a very key and pivotal verse. That he that covereth his sins. Now the word cover there means just like we understand it. To hide them, to conceal them. To, to, to press them down would be another way to say it. And here, I like the way that this one is, is, 
is crafted because it gives us a picture of our response to sin. And it's the idea of oppressing them down or not allowing, allowing them to be seen as what they are. And as this covering, as this concealing, as this pressing it down, and it shows itself in our lives in many forms. Most of us, a lot of times, not even conscious of it. And, and there's a, this idea of you may have seen it, may have done it. Or when somebody get caught, or, or when conviction hit, and there's this idea of confession, and I know I'm wrong, but there's a level of justification that, that comes in it. And there's this refusal to call it what it is. And that's a part of covering your sin. Because it, 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 it takes off the pressure from you really feeling the weight of it. I'll give an example. Like when somebody, they, they, they made their vow to God and they made their promise to God that they're going to live pure. And then they go off and do their thing. And when the conviction hit them and they feel bad, the initial thing is, well, I messed up. I'm saying I, I, I slipped. God, I'm sorry because I just had a moment of unbelief. Now, you are confessing. In a sense. But there is still covering in, in their suppression because you're not dealing with what really went on in your heart. And you're not allowing the, the evilness and how vile it really is to be fully expressed. And there's a hiding and there's a concealing. And that word to cover it could be to press down. You don't let it fully be what it is. And he said the, the person that does that, the person that presses down, the person that, 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 that don't truly allow their sins to be truly seen, it's like they will not prosper. And the question becomes, what do you mean not prosper? There, there's, there's, there's a couple of different ways to go into that. Because we think that when you hide your sin and you're covering it, one prospering that we have in mind is that I'm going to get away. I'm not going to get in trouble. People are not going to look at me differently. And what he's saying is, Whatever it is in your mind, there is no good, there is no good that's gonna come of it. There is no prospering. But the word that he used there for prosper has a slightly different connotation. It really means to go forward. So he that covered his sin will not move forward. And if you meet somebody who is stuck or stagnant in their lifestyle, and they're going for Jesus, but they got this one consistent roadblock that they keep running into, and it's a stronghold we in the church call it. It's this, this sin that don't easily beset them. That's the idea that he have is you can't move forward. And there's a limitation to your life, and who he puts it on is those who cover their sins, those who press them down, those who conceal them or hide them. And it's possible for you to be a confessor, but still a coverer. Because you don't allow it to really be seen as what it is. There's still a level of secrecy. There's still a level of, of it ain't as bad as people make it out to be. I feel bad. And, and my relationship with Jesus is a little distorted, but he's going to forgive me. That I done offended some people. But I don't want 
Edmund to find out. And I need to make this right before he knows. All of these are form of suppression and form of hiding and covering our sins, which limits our ability to be free. Those who cover their sins will not prosper. There's no moving forward. You can't go on. But those who confess it and forsake it, them shall have mercy. Now that word confession, we did a lesson on it, but we talked about it from the Greek standpoint. Confession means to say the same thing as in the Greek. But here in the Hebrew, it means it has a slightly different, because Hebrew, I told you, is more of an expressive language. And what it means is those who take their sins and fling them in the air. That's the picture you should get. Because that same word that we see here as confessing is all other places translated as praise. Other places translated as adore. And the idea is you gathering them and tossing them in the air. Now think about that. How do you do that with sin? Like those who cover their sins, that means to press them down, to not allow them to be what they're supposed to be, can't go forward. But those who take them sins and toss them up in the air, and he add with that, and forsake them. So you give you a picture. If you find yourself in sin or with that stronghold, as the church folk call it, he's saying it's possible for you to get that, to throw it up in the air, and then run away from it. That's the picture that he's giving. Just think about that. Like if you got some. And you toss it up in there and run before it falls back down. And he's like, that's what you need to do with your sins. You toss them. You fling them. You put them as far away from them you, you, you as you can. All the way out. And not just expose them in the sense that. But I got. He's saying, fling them. Throw them as far away from you as possible. And then run. And that should be the response. That we have to sin. And he said if you do that. They shall obtain what? Mercy. One won't be able to go forward. But the other will obtain mercy. And that mercy is the tender kindness of God. So if he see you taking your sins. And flinging them. And running away from them. Just think about if you were to wake up in the middle of the night. Especially with my scared people. And see a spider crawling up your leg. What would be the response? You knock it and you run or jump or stand up on that bed and you get on guard. You don't just stay there. You'll be like, some on me. (laughs) And both of them go hand in hand. You don't do one without the other. You don't just run and leave it on you. But you don't just knock it off and stay in that same position. When you think it's something that can hurt you, when you think it's something that can startle you, you do both. You knock it as far as you can, and you do it instinctually without even thinking about what you just did. Because if you thought about it, you would have been too scared to touch it. <laughs> but that, that 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 belief and that understanding that this is something that can hurt me, this is something that should not be on me, cause you to respond in a manner before you even realize that you touched what you thought could be a deadly thing. And you fling it. And you immediately move and you respond. You don't say, well, I knocked across the room and you just roll over. And remain in your same position. And this is what he's saying. You don't do that with sin. You don't say, 
Well, God, I'm sorry. That's not confession. You don't say, well, God, I made a mistake. Please forgive me. That's not confession. You toss it, the full weight of it, all that it is at God, and you run away from it as far as possible. Give it all to him. And this requires us to be honest with God. And if it's something in you, if you got this stronghold, there's a real oppression and it's connected to these thoughts and these ideas that allow you to continue in this place. Say that and express that to God. You don't just say, God, help me because I don't want to be like this no more. If it's something that you enjoy, but you know it is wrong, you go to him and say, God, this is in my heart. This is in my mind. There's something wrong in me. I like this. And if I be honest, I don't want it to change, but I know I need it to be free. And you don't play. That's confessing it. When we just say, God, I know, I don't know. You get them Sunday school answers. And don't say how you really feel. And do you want to be free? Yeah, I want to be free. <laughs> but deep down in your heart, I won't do it again tomorrow. You ain't confessing. You ain't throwing it up there. Because all of that is a part of it. Not just the act, the whole disposition of who you are in your relationship. That's a part of the sin. The heart that enjoys something that God said you hate, that's sin. The heart that longs for something and cannot restrain itself when, when, when placed in the opportunity of temptation, that's sin. That shows you that something is wrong with you. You need to throw all that at him. The fact that you identify yourself with this sin, and this is a part of who I am and my identity. So I can't conceive of myself being a part of it. That means you think of yourself and view yourself in a way that God made. That's perverted thinking. That's sin. Throw all of that at him. And when you throw it up, what you do? You run. And the end result is, then you shall have mercy. There's a loving kindness that comes from God that is extended from God to you in a desire to help you. But it takes you getting rid of it and running away from him. And this also should extend our understanding of who God is. Because the end result is mercy. And if we need this in our mind because the, the, the lie that connects when we fall, the immediate response is to draw away from God. I can't pray right now. I can't sing today. I don't need to go to church this Sunday. Because some in me ain't right. So I need this little window, this time period of separation before I can show back up before God. And it's because we got a misconception of who God is. God delights to show mercy. Now, is it true that he do not play? Yeah, we've seen that over and over again. God hates sin. He holds the wicked in abomination. But that does not mean he's incapable of showing mercy. That does not mean he's incapable of bowing himself down to hear you. And to understand you. And that's a lie of the enemy that you, you got to get these little pet things right. No, be real with God. Pour it up there, throw it up, then run to him. Then you're going to find mercy. Verse 14. Go ahead. Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah. yeah that's what we got to get and understand it. Because the church is confused. Like I said, it's two different thoughts and we, we forsake both of them. The Old Testament idea of confession and the New Testament idea of confession. And we don't agree with now one of them. 
Yeah. Because like I said, the Old Testament, this one is, is, is throwing it, tossing it out. Like I said, the same thing that could be put with praise. It's just, you getting all, you releasing it, and you failing it. And even in the New Testament, confession means to say the same thing as. And it's the idea of me coming to an agreement in my understanding of this thing with God. And we get to the same alignment about it. So that means I got to I gotta think about it the way that he think about it. I got to respond to it the way that he responds to it. That's true confession. There's an agreement in our tongue. So he can't be saying that you did a vile, wretched act against me. And it's something that puts you to death. And you be saying, well, God, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Like, y'all ain't saying the same thing. <laughs> y'all ain't saying the same thing. You don't see it the same. And so there ain't no real confession. But when you're willing to call it what it is and, and, and express it in the full manner that God has with it, now you confess. And it takes this and that same thing. We're giving it all full. And being real with it. And, and just surrendering it all. But this is like, I'm sorry I messed up. But like you just even think about time when your parents trying to make you apologize. And you say, I'm sorry. For what? And they keep pressing all them questions to, until you say it all. What you did wrong. And it ain't just can't be, I'm sorry. Why? For what I did. What you did. <laughs> And it, it, it keep going on until you get it fully all the way out there and, it, and we get that you really understand the depths of what you're saying. And if you say something or leave something out, you don't get it. Go back to your room until you understand. Or you get a pop until you understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that ain't no real confession. You still hiding it. Are you saying that I did something wrong? Yeah. But you don't really, you holding on to the wrong and you don't put it in the right position. Verse 14. So happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So happy or blessed, delightful is the man that always in fear. Now this is one that seems to be a bit crazy, especially coming off the opening of this chapter where he said the righteous are bold as lions, but it's the wicked that flee when no man pursues. Now he's saying the blessed man is the man that feareth always. What do we mean by that? And it's the idea of being in a in a constant state of fear, but fear in connection with reverence to God. That there's this cautiousness about the way that you go about your life. And there's this tenderness that that's a, a conscious tenderness towards God and what he got going on that overrides all of your doing and all of your being. But on the contrast, it's somebody that grows hard in their heart. So they shall fall in mischief. What he means by that is one who becomes stubborn or obstinate. That there's no longer a response. There's no longer a tremble when people come to correct you, when people call you out, or when God speaks, you lose that ability to be on edge. You're not conscious or thinking of how do these actions line up. That there's a hardness where you can't see. You don't respond the way you were supposed to respond. So that's going to cause you to fall into mischief or to evil or into calamity. Verse 15. So as a roaring lion and a ranging bear, so is the wicked ruler over the poor people. So just like a roaring lion or a ranging bear. The roaring lion is the lion that's getting ready to attack, trying to strike fear. 
The ranging bear is one that's on the prowl. Like this is the way the wicked ruler is over the poor people. And it's the oppressive man. He rules through intimidation. That's basically what he's getting at. So you got the wicked ruler. The way he maintains order, the way he maintains control is through intimidation. Like a roaring lion and a ranging bear. When the lion roars, it causes its prey to freeze. It strikes fear in them to the, and it, and it, it causes a moment of freeze, that, that little pause moment that allowed them to attack. And it's like, this is how the wicked rule over the poor. They boast, they, they just have to flex their muscles and show everybody that who they are. While I always say dude, with the men, if you gotta tell people to you the man, you ain't. Verse 16, the prince that wanted or lacketh understanding is also a great oppressor. But he that hated covetousness shall prolong his days. So the ruler that lacks or that don't have understanding is also a great oppressor. So the greater, the ruler who don't really grasp life, he oppresses people. And he goes back to this being a ranging bear. He rules through intimidation. And he thinks that's the only way that you can get a job done. You got to let them know who the boss is. And he said, but he that hated covetousness, he that hated bribery, there'll be another way it says, he shall prolong his days. The one that, that cannot be bought, the one who you can't get a gift to that sways the way he thinks or sways the way he interacts with people, it's like his rule is going to be long. So he's giving you two different rulers here and he's showing you both negatives. One is the one who rules or lords over people who have to intimidate and it shows that he lacks understanding. And the other one is the person who, who can be bought in their decisions and in, in, in their relationship is based on what you give me, what you have for me. And that's also can be a form of extortion. Like the one that fails to do that, he prolongs his days. His, his authority, his leadership would be extended. Verse 17, a man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. Now, this is a, a, a strange verse in the Hebrew. And if you read a couple of different versions, it's probably going to read a couple of different ways. Because people wrestle with the way that is is presented. When it said a man that do violence to the blood of any. The word that we got in our King James translated as violence is a man that that is pressed down by the blood of any. Would be your way to say it, but you're like, that don't make sense. How can you be pressed down by the blood of somebody? And so they take it to saying that he caused the pressing. He, he presses up against. He creates the blood. And they, that's why we get do violence. But I really think that the, the press down is a form of guilt. And it's telling me, giving you the picture of a man whose consciousness has started to create pressure on him because of his violation of innocent people. So this is a man that's pressed down by the blood or by the life of innocence. He has done something and now it's starting to hit him. And it's like this person is going to flee to the pit. And what it is, is this, 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 this depth of this, this oppression, this pressure that comes upon him causes him to go into a deep place. And he's saying, let nobody stay him. And the idea is, don't you get in a position where you try to prevent this person 
from feeling the full weight of it, what it, what he's going through. Let, let nobody stay him. That when this pressure hit him and it starts to weigh him down, like, don't you be the person that try to alleviate this weight from him. Let him feel it. Let it press him down into that deep place. And it's something we have to be conscious of even as, as, as ministers of the gospel and as going out and loving people because once you have this heart of love and this heart of compassion and you see people in hard times, the immediate response is you want to alleviate. Now, I know I have a tendency to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fixer. When you come to me and saying something wrong, I want to figure out how I can make it right. Even with full understanding, there ain't nothing I can do about it. That worries me if I can't give it a solution, if I can't fix it, if I can't make it right. And what he's saying is there's sometimes there's some things that people go through because of their sins, because of their wrong, that you don't need to try to fix. Let them feel it. Paul talks about a very similar thing when he said, I'm glad that I made you sorry. Talking to the Corinthians. I'm glad that I made you sorry. Why? Because godly sorrow produces repentance. And if you never allowed him to really see the full weight of it, to really be pressed down into this dark place because of their sins, when God gets ready to lift them up, they don't see the true need of it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And sometimes you have to allow people to feel the sinfulness of their sins so that they can truly repent. And, and that true life can pour into them. Jesus makes the statement. He said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. But if I don't see the weight or the gravity of what it is that you rescued me from, my thankfulness really ain't that ain't a bit. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's like if I'm about to get hit by a bus and don't realize it. And Edmund comes snatch me out the street. I'm like, hold on, what you doing, man? What, what up? Because I don't see the danger I was in. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can't appreciate it. Or if I was about to get hit by the bus, but I'm facing a situation where I see a bicycle come. And he snatched me. Like, whoa, man, appreciate it. And it's the light thing because I was going to get by the bike. I probably would have scratched my knee up or something. And I never truly appreciate No, brother, you finna die. <laughs> Like brains all over the concrete. And so don't be so quick to rush in and to alleviate the pressure off people. And why I tell you, it's never our job to convince anybody that they say. Don't be the one to rush in. Oh, yeah, you all right. You know, I know you love the Lord. I don't know that. <laughs> I do not. And by this conversation we have right now, if I was to be consistent with the Bible, you don't. Be willing to, to let it sit and let people deal with it. Let them cry. Let them hurt. Don't be so quick. No, oh, no, baby, it's okay. You understand? You just made a mistake and you were going through stuff. And yeah, no, let them get down in that pit. Go ahead. Let them feel the pain. Don't 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 rush them from the pain. Let it hit. Then once you realize it hit and they got it and they understand it, then you go in with the counsel to show them how to get out of the pit. 
But don't stop them from going down in it. But let it let it hit them. Because like I said, if they don't get if it's gonna get to a place where it really drives them all the way down, they can't truly confess it. Go ahead. Yeah, sometimes we gotta do that. Can't be quick to rush in. Let some folks feel it. Verse 18 said, Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. The one that walks uprightly, that could also be said, he that walks blamelessly, he that walks in full integrity, shall be saved, or shall be delivered, or shall be rescued, but he that is perverse or twisted in his ways shall fall at once. So there's going to be a, a, a sudden downfall to those who are perverted or twisted in their ways. But there's a upholding, a rescue, or deliverance for those who walk in blamelessness, who walk in, in integrity, who walk in an upright manner. Now, the question that happens, we have to ask, and it's saved from what? That's all he's saying. They're going to be saved. Saved from what? The upright shall be saved, but the perverted shall fall at once. So one gives a picture of rescue while the other gives a picture of judgment. What is he talking about? Just let that sit there. Let you think about it. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So the person that tills or works his land, the one that's willing to get out there and work, they the one that's going to have something to eat. But it's saying the person that follows after our King James that follows after vain persons. Now that person is not in the text. Those who follow after vanity, they shall have lack. And it's the idea of somebody who spend their life consumed by things that are worthless. Things that are fleeting. And they're not working. So they go in these vain pursuits. And refuse to work. It's like the one that's willing to work. He's going to eat. But the one who's chasing after this vanity. The one whose mind is caught up in this nothingness. He's going to have want. I suffer lack. I have poverty enough. He's going to be filled with poverty. A faithful man abound with blessings. But he that maketh haste to be rich. Shall be innocent. Now this is a deep one. A faithful man abound with blessings. So a faithful man, when you read a faithful man, what you think about? Somebody, anybody. Huh? A righteous man, what'd you say? A consistent man. That's more what it's talking about. A steadfast man is the best way to, to say it. So the one who remains steadfast, he shall abound with blessings. And it's the idea of you continuing in the path that you're going now. And you cannot be shaken. You maintain and you keep going. But he contrasted with he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. So instead of being faithful and remaining steadfast, you get some people who rush off to try to heap up riches. And saying that lifestyle is going to lead you into sin. It's going to lead you into guilt. It's going to lead you into wrong. But if you can stay steadfast and plotting on the journey, you the one that's going to be full of blessings. And it's something just for us to keep up in our mindset as we go out throughout life because it's easy to begin a journey and God convicts you and you get on to something and you get consistent with it. Then ideas pop up. Then other folks come and you see what they're doing. And you see little pop-ups on the internet. And when you listen to your praise music on, on YouTube, then a video come up and trying to tell you about these little things that in one week, you can be this, and you can go here, and you can travel the world, and it, and it pulls you into all these things that 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 pulls you to the point where you try to speed up the thing that God is doing. 
Yeah, like help him get her. Oh, this is how the Lord going to do it. The Lord said he's going to get me out of debt. And you see that little advertisement on in between of your praise. See that in front of the Lord. Fell <laughs> in front of the Lord. God, God put that, that commercial on there. Yeah. <laughs> you see that little commercial come on. It came in the middle of my praise song. They cut the video off and, and this guy came up talking. And you get it in your whole mindset switch. And you get off of what you were doing and get caught up in this wild dream. And he said, folks who do that, they won't be innocent. But the one who remains faithful, the one who continues steadfast, they shall abound with blessing. And we have to be consistent in our lifestyle. We have to be consistent in both our what we were talking about when it comes to our money and when it comes just to, to our spiritual lives. In all every aspect of our lives, we have to be consistent to remain steadfast and not allow ourselves to be moved and, and pulled and not caught up in the hype, but be willing just to, to continue on the journey that God has blazed before us and not be looking for shortcuts or, or ways just to expedite the situation. Because the one that try to expedite the thing, they shall not, I'm saying they shall not be innocent. We see that in Abraham. Brother was going consistent, doing his little thing, walking around the place where God told him to walk. Then he tried to help God out. We're still living with the consequences all the way to the day. Said so to have respect to persons is not good. For for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. So when you have favorites, when you are impartial towards somebody, it means respect the person. We don't care if it's race or any of those other made up concepts that people are giving us that, that we separate ourselves with. And he's saying, if you have that, that's not good. And good means function in the way that it's, it's supposed to. So that's life not right. So when you have respect to persons for any reason, saying you're not functioning the way you're supposed to function. Things are not in a, in a proper order. And then saying for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. And the person who has respect to person, he's saying, if you just give them a little morsel of bread, the smallest little thing they're willing to go against and pervert justice, pervert judgment, to benefit the people who they already favor. That's what he's talking about. So you don't, you show partiality and it can sway you and it can cause you to do wrong. It can cause you to go astray even for the smallest little pieces of things when you have respect of person. Go ahead. What he means by respect of persons the way we would say it is show favoritism. Yeah, prejudice, or not even so much as prejudice, but it's more of, of a favoritism. Now, we use that word prejudice in that way, but that's not really what prejudice means. But it's when you show willing to do good for somebody else for certain specific things because of who they are, disconnected from everybody else who was in that same spot. Yeah, that's what he's getting at. Like when I'm walking down the street and I see a man who's in need, but he look a different color from me, so I'm not going to give him a dollar. But if I run upon another man in that same predicament who look the same color as me and I'm willing to give him a dollar, I'm showing respect to person. The only reason I help one and not the other is because of this superficial thing. Go ahead. 
said he's not a respecter of person. Uh huh. Yeah, that basically God ain't got some little things where he treats you one way and then treats somebody else in the same predicament as you a different way just because of whatever. You tall, like. God just only like tall people. So since you tall, God gonna help you out, but he won't help the short person. And, and, and that's what he means by respect of persons. Like I said, we've called it in his days favoritism, prejudice, and racism. Those all are forms of, of this same concept of having a respect of person. Like when you watching Jeopardy and you, and you want that one family to win. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care what they do. <laughs> and then you feel shame when they say dumb answers when you're watching on Family Feud. <laughs> that respect the person. Go ahead. Well, I mean, just technically, by the strict definition of prejudice, it doesn't necessarily mean favoritism or, or showing preference to another. It, prejudice means you basically reach a conclusion beforehand. And it don't necessarily mean that you're going to favor somebody based off that conclusion. That, that just, you, you, you reach a conclusion beforehand without having sound judgment or, or, or clear-cut decisions why you made the conclusion that you reached. You just made it that way. Yeah, like about... Yeah, and I... It, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Cause like, if I see a man with tattoo on his face, like, automatically, okay, he'll insane killer. <laughs> and never talk to him, never saw him. Man, he got tattoos on his face. That means he'll insane killer. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna mistreat him. That's just the thoughts I have about him. Now, I said don't necessarily mean that, but most time prejudices do produce favoritism and partiality. Verse 22, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye and consider it not that poverty shall come upon him. So the one that's in a, in a rush to get rich, so they have an evil eye. That basically it's the idea of being stingy is the idiom with it. It's a point person that restrains and they're not benevolent. The people that got an evil eye. That means it's some, some in them that ain't right. And they can't be fully open and benevolent, the ones that want to hurry up and get rich. And he said, and he considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. So the one that's in a hurry to get rich has an evil eye and they don't think about the fact or they don't know or they're not aware of the fact that loss going to come to them. So you can be hurried up and getting rich and you think you're doing well, but there's something wrong in you and you're not even conscious of the fact that you're going to suffer loss. Verse 23, he that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. So at the end of a situation, now what do you mean by afterwards? After some over with, once you get to the end of a, of a thing, say if you rebuke a man, if you correct him, chastise them, let them know what they did wrong. So you're going to get more favor than he that flatter it with the tongue. And that flatter it with the tongue can be understood literally. He that smooth things out. So if you can be in a, a situation 
where I could did you wrong. And I'm coming to you and I'm questioning you about it. And you really feel deep down inside of your heart that I did something wrong to you. But you're afraid because you don't want no conflict. So when I come to you and I ask you what's going on, you don't say, yeah, you did wrong and, and it really hurt me the way that you did. You were wrong for that. You, oh, everything okay. It's all right. No, it's no big deal. But you really don't, you're smoothing it over. And that seems to be a benevolent thing to do. But what he's saying is you get more grace if you're willing to rebuke a man. Stand up and tell them they're wrong if you just, instead of being the one that just smooth everything out and everything okay. Uh, even sometimes when you talk about this quite often, you get them friends that call you and they tell you about their day and they tell you everything that went wrong and they were trying to get your opinion. And you sitting there instead of wanting to say that, you tripping about nothing. You was a fool. And you need to go tell them people you sorry. All you just do is just sit there and be like, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm, they did. What? <laughs> yeah, I see. I see. You're like, girl, what you think? I can see what you're saying. Because <laughs> you don't want to say that. You were wrong. And you need to go confess and, and ask people for forgiveness. But you don't want to also say that you were right and they are wrong. Because you don't really believe they're wrong. You're like, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see. Like, nah, the person that's really in the rebuke, they're going to get more favor. Go ahead. Yeah. That's something we got to get up. But it's, it's a mindset that we have. And nobody really likes conflict. Very few people on the earth just, just enjoy getting into it with everybody. The vast majority of the people don't like conflict. So that causes us to be them folks that want to flatter with the tongue. Verse 24. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and said, it is no transgression. The same as a companion of a destroyer. So basically, you're taking away from your father, your mother. You're mistreating them. You're going against them. And he's saying, and you got in your mind that you didn't do anything wrong. Like the same one is, is friend, is a companion. You fall into the group of the destroyer. There's the folks who, who tear down and ravage towns and cities. You're one of them people. If you are the person who, who robs your mother, to strip your father or mother, and don't think that you did anything wrong. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And he that is of a proud heart is one who stretches his heart out. So the one who, who, who swells himself up on the inside, that he stirreth up strife. So the more pride you get, the more strife that's going to come out of it. It's like, but he that tr- putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. And this gives a, a, a idea of a response. When you're thinking in the idea of conflict, like one is, it expands himself and increase his importance. That's sort of the pride. And the opposite of that, he's saying the one that trusts in the Lord. So the opposite of being prideful in a conflict is trusting in God in a conflict. And we can see this demonstrated a little bit like you read the story of Moses and his journey in the wilderness. It's amazing. Because Moses would get upset when the people said something bad about God. But they talk crazy about Moses all the time. Then he go pray. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing response. Like, hold up, man. Like, you know, we, we see everybody talk about Moses' anger issues and how he smoked the rock. But when people attack Moses, he went and prayed. We never see these quote unquote anger issues of Moses directly dealing with people. Only time his anger shows up is when folks disrespect God. And it shows you where his trust was. That he ain't his thoughts and his conceptions about who he was and how he's supposed to live his life was sitting on God. So when people came and said something, he took it to God. Uh-huh. 
it, it, the prideful in heart stir it up strife, but he that trusts in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Verse 26. He that trusted in his own heart, now this is like, I put this one on your mirror right here. He that trusted in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. That, that's a good one. Don't trust in your own heart. We don't care what Arthur said. Believe in yourself. That's the place to start. That's a lie. <laughs> you truly, the one that trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's deep. Just, just, just let that sit right there. Yeah. <laughs> if you trust in your own heart, you're a fool. But whoso walk wisely, so walking wisely is the contrast of what? Trusting in your own heart. He shall be delivered. He shall be saved. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. So the one that gives to the poor, you ain't going to have go without. But the one who hides his eyes, going back to the other proverb, act like you don't see the need of the poor. So like he's going to have many a curse. A lot of curses going to come upon him. The one that acts as if he don't see the need of the poor. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. So when the wicked increase, they get up. Men hide themselves. There's a running. There's a fleeing from wicked men. But when they die, when they leave, the righteous increase. So once you remove wickedness, you increase righteousness. If you increase wickedness, you decrease righteousness. This is what the picture that he's giving here. 29. We bust through these. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So the one that keeps getting corrected, but they grow stubborn. That's what he means by hardening his neck. They refuse to turn. So somebody keep correcting you, but the correction only causes you to grow more and more stubborn. He said that person shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. There ain't no cure for it. So if you got somebody, you keep correcting them and they just go more and more obstinate, the more you correct them, he's saying that person, they're going to be destroyed. And ain't nothing they're going to be able to fix it. Without remedy, there ain't no medicine. There ain't no bomb that's going to alleviate that situation. 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. So when you got a righteous ruler, there's joy in the place. But when you got a wicked ruler, there's sorrow, there's crying. Whoso loveth wisdom, verse 3, rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his stuff, substance. Now we can all understand that. If you love wisdom, that means you devote yourself to wisdom, it causes joy in your family. Like, but, Contrast, if you keep company with harlots, if you fellowship with harlots, with prostitutes, like you're gonna, you're gonna spin up your stuff. You know, basically it could be he go, you're gonna destroy your substance or ruin your substance. Prodigal son is what you got though. Uh huh, evil communication corrupt good manners. Yeah, and this one's saying evil communication gonna corrupt your stuff. You're gonna go broke if you're hanging out with the harlots. <laughs> The king by judgment established the land, but he that received gifts overthroweth it. Well, you got a king by judgment. By judgment, we would say by justice. By doing things the way it's supposed to be done and responding to situations in the right manner. He establishes the land. But if he receives gifts, that means one that can be bought, one that takes bribes, he overthroweth it. He, he, he tear down the land. Or he brings it into ruin. Five, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Now, this is crazy. 
The one that flatters his neighbor. The one that smooths over. He ain't got no pretty flowery words to say with his neighbor. Say he spreadeth a net for his feet. Now the way this one is constructed is we, we can't concretely say who he spread, whose feet the net is being spread for. Is he talking about he's spreading the net for his neighbor's feet? By flattering him? Which means that when you just throwing flattery and all you got is, it's just flowery words with no meaning. You're just smoothing things out with your neighbor. You're setting them up for figs. Or is he saying when you live like this, you're setting yourself up. That by doing these things, you yourself are setting a trap for yourself. And it could be either way. So I think he left it that way on purpose. Because it could be if I flatter you and I tell you how great you are and just overlook all your wrongs and all your faults that can get in your head and you can go out living like that. And he ended up falling into something. Getting up messed up. Like I said, I use the easy example always of the people on the singing shows. When you got their family all the time. So they were little, oh, you sing so well. Oh, boy, so beautiful. Yeah, keep doing your thing. Here I go. And then they get out there and want to do something on a, on a big stage and they get embarrassed. And they thought this is the first time somebody told them that you can't. And they didn't realize that they were sorry. And so you setting them up. And the other one could be that you flower this person all up and you put them up and you tell them how beautiful they are and how great they can sing. Then they come to you when they start their music career and they want you to support and they want you to put them on your program. Like, hey, I can sing at your sister wedding. You always tell me how great I can sing. Now you set your <laughs> yeah, So don't be around us just flattering folks. It's good to speak well of people, but, but mean it. In the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare, but the righteous doth sing and rejoice. So when the evil man goes sinning, when he's going astray, he says there's a trap in that. It's something that set himself up. But the righteous do sing and rejoice. But the righteous lift up their voice and spin around, the way it could be said. So you can picture, you're giving a, a, a difference. When you got a man who's sinning, there's traps all around. And he's setting himself up. So when he's moving, he can be caught up either way he go. And while the righteous, you can get the picture of him going down the same road, but he's just jumping and spinning, spinning and singing a song. That's the difference. Right? The righteous sing and rejoice. There's an outflow of righteousness that, that creates a freedom that can't come when you in sin. Said so the righteous consider it the cause of the poor, but the wicked regard it not to know it. This is a deep one. That our leaders need to understand. That the righteous consider it. That means they take heed. They they seek to know the condition of the poor. They try to understand it. They try to comprehend it. That's what righteous people do. They try to understand the condition of the poor. Like, But the wicked, they don't care to know it. Or they don't take time to understand it. That there is no knowledge in them that even wants to know the condition. And this is something that we're seeing expanded in our culture right now at this moment. People just pick a team and try not to understand either side. Verse 8, scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. So the hateful men, the scornful men, the mocker men, they trap a city. But wise men, they turn away wrath. That means they have the ability to deliver or set free or, or make evil turns. So one of them can make it worse. You got a scornful man, he can bring the city into a snare or a trap. But when bad things come, it get worse because he's there. 
But the wise man can turn away wrath. Now, this is something in the back of my mind. We're going to stick to oh, I said. we behind already. This little internet wave I done got exposed to over the last two, three days is something that, that really is causing concern in my heart about these quotas. I would say about two weeks. And this idea of me not being a Christian punk or me being a man of God and still being macho. All of these various concepts I've been running into lately, like don't try Jesus. I mean, try Jesus, don't try me. And it seemed to be this mode where you got all these preachers and everything want to justify how tough they are. Like, there's no need. And it's not godly at all. And people think the only options you have is going to be a punk and people going to run all over on me. Or I'm going to be real and beat people up if they confront me. How can I be godly and be wise? Where, where, well, I'm looking for the pastors that are saying that, hey, I know how to deal with fools and bring them down. That when a man confront me and in an improper way that a wise man know how to turn away wrath. What those people at? And we can't be the people to get caught up in it. Oh, oh I got it. I'm saying you, I'm, I'm tough. The meat don't mean soft. Like, no, foolish and Christian don't go together. And somebody should be able to confront you. Somebody should be able to go off and you handle the situation in a way that you bring peace to the situation. Because blessed are the who? The peacemaker. They are the who? Sons of God. So there's this identity where people can go crazy and I can bring the situation to right into alignment because I'm a son of God. And they don't got to do nothing with me punching folks out. Yeah, I don't, I don't need none of that stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's just on my mind. I've been running around to a lot of times. That's why you need to stay out of the internet. Go ahead. It's something we got to contemplate on a little bit more. Especially little Joe. I even give him a little leeway. You little joker, people coming to my pastor office talking crazy. They need to understand. Like, no, man, we don't do that, John. <laughs> you got to do all that. I'm sorry, y'all. Verse 9. If a wise man contented with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. So a wise man get into an argument or a dispute with a foolish man. So this is a wise man trying to let a foolish man know. He's saying whether he rage or he laugh. I take this as talking about the wise man. So the wise man can come with full aggression or he can make light of the whole situation. It doesn't matter. It won't get resolved when you're dealing with a fool. That's what, no matter which way you come. So if you come jokingly or mockingly, make light of it. Or if you come just with full sternness and raw, full aggression. A fool ain't going to hear and he's not going to be corrected. That's basically what he's saying here. Verse 10, the bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. This is, this is a very deep one. Then the bloodthirsty, the folks who, who are murderous and hateful in, in, inside, say they hate the upright. So if you're a peaceful person and living upright, the bloodthirsty loathes you. They don't like you. But the just seek his soul. Still talking about the upright. The righteous people pursue the soul of the upright. And it's the idea of one hate them. While the other one clings to them. So the bloodthirsty, they, they don't want them. You ever just think about it. Pay attention. It's something I, I observe. 
Like I said, just being around Jaden, just giving him his props. There's some people you can run into that can, man, that brother Jay, he know the word, he's serious about the thing and all that, but they never come around him. Never come around they can, they can tell you his praise and run his resume and all this stuff, the stuff that you need to listen to him about, but they never come around. Refuse to. That cause the bloodthirsty hates the upright. And that's this idea of when people see righteousness and they got hate in their heart or they, they fall in their foolishness, they don't want to go away from it. But he said the just man seeks his soul. So the righteous man, he pursues the upright. Instead of being the one that don't want to come around, he get on their nerves. He knock the dough down. He, he try to figure out how can he get as close to them as possible. Go ahead. Yeah. But more than insecure, Jesus said you refuse to come to the light because you love the darkness. And it's the fact that I love this lifestyle. And if I come around this upright person, there's going to be a disconnect between the way he's living and what I'm living. So to keep me from dealing with that condemnation to being a bloodthirsty man that's pressed down and fleeing into the pit, one way to keep me from being that is not being around anybody that's going to produce guilt in me. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is a good way to translate. It's blameless, the upright, the one that's free from from guilt. Well, Matt, eleven. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it into afterwards. One we keep repeat. Fools just just blurt it all out, but a wise man is willing to hold what he got to say into the end. Let everything go up forward first, then he speak. Twelve. If a ruler listen to lies, all his servants are wicked. That's the so if a ruler take heed, if he pay attention to lies, that mean everybody around him wicked. Verse 13, the poor and deceitful man meet together. The Lord lighten both of their eyes. So you got a poor man and a deceitful man. The deceitful man here is the one who get rich through oppression. So the poor man and the oppressor, they collide. Where do they collide? The Lord, the Lord is the one that gives light to both of them. The Lord is the one that opens or illuminates both of them. God pour forth light in them that's what makes them meet together one ain't better than the other the king that faithfully judgeth the poor his throne shall be established forever so the one that's consistent in how he meets out justice for the poor his throne gonna last for forever the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame that's deep so you got the rod and reproof and here he bind them together so the rod is the instrument of correction Reproof is the actual correction. So when we discipline our children, it needs to be both of them. We don't just beat and we don't just fuss. You put both of them together. And, and, and it's the idea of you correcting something when you beat them. It's not the rod in anger. You don't beat them because you're mad or they did something you don't like. You're correcting the behavior and you're disciplining them. And he says, that gives wisdom. So you're producing wisdom by correcting them and disciplining them. But a child left to himself. But if you just set a child free. It says. They he shall bring their mother to shame. If you just set the child free. Let them go by their own way. Let them chill and raise themselves. Like they going to bring their mother to shame. So you can correct them. Or you can just let them be. And when the wicked are multiplied. Transgressions increase it. But the righteous shall see their fall. So as the wicked increase. Transgression increases. The basic idea is the more wicked things become, the more wickedness is going to come. 
It's like, but the righteous going to see their fall. He's going to see the fall of the wicked and the transgression. The righteous man is going to see them come down. But as they're multiplied, sin is multiplied. Verse 17, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. So if you correct your son, that is rebuke him. Put him back on the right path. Turn his head or should be another way of doing it, saying that. He shall give rest to thy, he shall give you rest. Or so the idea of you got a son and you snatch his head and put it in the right direction. The end result of that is going to be peace for you. He going to give you rest. He going to bring you to a place of peace by you turning his head, correcting him. And he shall give delight and there's a joy, a satisfaction, a leisure, a luxury that going to come into your very life if you're willing to correct your son. But that means we got to do what? Correct him. Turn the head. But it also means we got to know what way the head need to be turned. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision. Now that word vision there could be translated as revelation, as something poured forth. So where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people perish. People cast off restraints, as some like to say. It's basically when there is no revelation, when there is no clear-cut understanding of the way things are supposed to be, things get more loose and more lax. But he that keepeth the law, in the contrast between revelation and law, lets us know that the real revelation is the law. It ain't just me coming up with my ideas and seeing great visions and, and all that stuff. No, it's, it's the consistency of the revelation of God and the things that he poured forth. Where that is, people are restrained. Said, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The true blessed one is the one that hedges himself in with the law. And that's the contrast that he given. When there is no vision, people run free. But the people that heads themselves in, that guard themselves in with the law, so restrict their lifestyle to this law, these are the true free ones. A servant will not be corrected by words. For though he understand, he will not answer. So you got a servant, he's saying, he won't be corrected just by talking. And this is one you need to think about it and weigh it in a little bit. A servant won't be corrected just by talking. And it says, though he understand, he will not answer. Answer means he won't respond in the proper way. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the idea of, and when you connect this with everything that been go, we've been talking about in this little section, about the rod and reproof, about correcting the son, about the, the law giving guidance and giving bringing true happiness and we bring up a servant not being truly corrected by words it brings into question is how is it that we bring up how is it that we train how is it that we instruct and what he's telling us here is words alone are not sufficient because you can give out all the information and the folks won't respond in the right manner that's the idea that he's giving words alone are not sufficient to correct go ahead I, I think it goes for all of them. It's the idea of all of one. If you if you're a leader in something, don't be foolish enough to think 
just because I said this, all my people are going to do it. So if you're a leader, you're in a position of authority, like you said, the world, you know, why bless? Like you said, we was out witnessing one time. I don't know what they remember this. <laughs> I had a little fellow in front of the Capitol Mark. Rose up on some dude, talk about Jesus. The dude <laughs> looked at Jay Clifford in the face. Like, I don't speak English. <laughs> 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 Just like that. <laughs> He didn't even try to say it in Spanish. Like, I don't speak English. <laughs> Although, like, I'll never forget. <laughs> that idea of people, but people, when they set in, words aren't sufficient. It's basically an idea. So if you're in a people, place of authority, don't think just because I said this, just because I sent out the memo, just because I declared it, everybody's going to fall in line. Do nothing, man. And even the same thing with your children. If you put it in that idea, bringing your children up and putting them to work. Don't think just because I said it, that it's just going to be just this way. Now you can tell them, all right, you need to clean out the bathroom. And when you clean out the bathroom, you need to wipe the toilet and you need to wipe the inside of the bowl. You need to make sure you sweep behind now, clean off the mirror, scrub the tub. Just because you say all that. Don't mean they're going to respond in a manner where you come back and there ain't going to be a little piece of tissue behind the toilet. Don't mean <laughs> you get what I'm saying. That you gonna, they, ain't, they ain't just going to pull the curtain to cover up the, the soap scum in the, in the bottom of the toilet. Yeah. And a lot of times. And don't just because you say it don't mean they understand it. And even new when they understand, a lot of times understanding is not enough to execute. Because I can know exactly and I can grasp exactly what you're saying. That don't mean I can do it. Uh, all of the above. Or it just could be an insufficiency in me. I can pretty sure I can watch a video that can tell me all the dynamics of how to properly dunk a basketball. I can understand how I'm supposed to take off. I understand how using my hips to, to engage the quads and and flexing the ankles to get the calves engaged and having all these things in sync could give me higher jump, but that don't mean I can go out there and, and throw it down. And I can get all of that and run out there and still not touch the net. <laughs> like I said, I bet I can take Maddie and sit her down and to explain to her the dynamics of dribbling the basketball. And she can understand and comprehend everything I say. But then I give her a ball. A whole nother story. And she can come back and explain to me everything I say. But they don't give her the ability to do it. And basically it shows the insufficiency of words. I don't even understand he ain't going to respond properly. And it could be because of stubbornness in his heart. It could be because of laziness. It could be because of insufficiency in there. He don't go to that depth. But he's just putting a broad picture. That. Just correcting the servant, just telling them that's not sufficient. Could be that you have to show them. Could be that you have to stand over them and watch them and make sure that it get done. Any of the, all of these things are options that could go into it. And I think one of the ones that come up after here bleeds into it. He says, see it thou a man that is hasty in his words. There's more hope of a fool than him. That's deep right there. A man that's quick to talk. A man that always got to have something to say. And rushing off to, to share his opinion. So there's more hope of a fool than him. Fool got a better shot than he do. 
He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. Uh, this goes a little deeper in that same idea. So he the one that takes the time and with tenderness brings up or trains up his servant. Like when it's all said and done, I wonder when you get to the end of the road, he gonna be his son when it's over. He's gonna be an heir. He's gonna be one that continues the the, the state. So this idea of not just telling the servant, but training them up. And like you delicately train up the servant and he gonna become a son or an heir should be a better way of training. He gonna continue on the legacy of what it is that you establish through this training. Says thou, I mean 22, an angry man stirreth of strife and a furious man abounding in transgression. So an angry man takes strife and make it worse. And a furious man abounds in transgression. He fools, he overflows with going astray. That's the furious man, the man that burns within. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And that is just the poetry of this one. So a man's pride, a man being uplifted, or a man increasing his heart, a man lifting his head up, shall bring him low, shall press him down. So lifting yourself up going to press you down. Said, but glory or honor shall uphold the one that is down. So one of you gonna bring yourself down by lifting yourself up. While there's a glory, there's a radiance, a honor that's gonna hold the one who is already down. So if you humble, you start down, you're gonna be uphill. But if you lift yourself up, you're gonna be brought down. 24. Whoso is partnered with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and bereath it not. It's a thief. So the one that, that shares in that is a friend or a companion of a thief. And that's one it, it could be to smooth over. It's the word. The same word that's been translated as flattering all these other times is here it says a partner. And what it, the idea behind it is when you spread it out. So it could be taken of you spreading the goods of the thief stealing something and y'all spreading it amongst yourself. Or it could be you being with the thief and you smooth it over. Basically, you keeping a good relationship with the thief. Like either one of those, if you sharing in his goods or you just keeping a good relationship. Like he, you hate your own soul. You're fighting against your own soul. You despise yourself if you're a companion or a partner of a thief. If you smooth things over with a thief, you share in his goods or you just make good relationship with him. And you just want to be on the same accord with him. You hate your own soul. And it says because you hear cursing and bereath it not. And it's the idea of thief cursing. He's speaking. He's doing all type of vile things. And you never correct it. You just let it go on. Because you want to maintain this peaceful relationship. And it's like that's a piece of you hating your own soul. And it's something you need to think about. A lot of people, especially like when you're working out in, in the world with the rest of the world. You can get in cultures where just cursing and everything go on. And the obvious thing that people connect is you sit in that environment long enough, you're going to start doing it. I remember while working at the warehouse, when folks started finding out that I was a Christian, the first thing they told me is, it won't be long before you start cussing. And after years of being there, they never heard me curse, and it creates a somewhat of amazement. And the idea for the folks who it happened to that you be in this environment long enough and you just you know, curse, how that gets on you is when you make peace with it, it has a better chance of influencing you. 
But when there's a constant going against, it decreases your ability to be affected by it. See, when you push through these last one. The fear of a man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's easy one now, the deep one. The fear of the man. So when you have fear of man, that's a trap. We call it being people pleasers. When you're that type of person that where the thoughts and the opinions of people has great weight on how you make your decisions, so that's a trap. But if you put your trust in the Lord, you shall be safe. And that put your trust in the Lord could be translated if you cling to the Lord. So instead of having fear of people, you cling to him. If y'all ever seen them little toy, little do- like it's a little ball, that has a little dog looking thing that's attached to the little ball. And sometimes the Toys R Us don't exist no more, but they used to have my front. It's just a little ball, and it's a little dog-looking, furry little thing, and his nose of it is attached to the ball. And when every time the ball moves, it drags this thing around. And it just it just drags the little thing around the thing, and the ball just bounces. It got the little thing, it moves by itself, and it just go crazy. They have it in the little front. That's the picture you should get in your mind when you hear, hear this version of trust in the Lord. Is you attach yourself to him, and you allow him to drag you around. You cling to the Lord would be a better way of saying it. And this is the opposite of fearing people. Many seeks the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment comes from the Lord. So a lot of people looking for the ruler's favor. That means want to see the ruler's faith. Want the ruler to like them. But every man's judgment comes from who? The Lord. Justice comes from God. But there's some people out there trying to get people to like them. 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So the unjust, the unrighteous, they hate the righteous. And he that is upright, the blameless, is an abomination to the wicked. So if you're upright, if you're just, the wicked folks don't like you. That's anybody got any questions.